Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Callan FM. Welcome to the business community on Callan FM with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. And we've got a bit of a mixed up show um, for you today because we will be welcoming a special guest into the studio in, in, in about 20 minutes time. So do stay tuned for that. But yesterday was World Mental Health Day. I, I think it's unlikely that will have escaped your attention. And certainly um, I spent the day at a fantastic CIPD event which was looking at workplace well-being uh, and of course as you would expect mental health uh, comes comes into that massively. Um, the event was in Shrewsbury it was at um, the I don't know what they call themselves now but the football ground in Shrewsbury. Uh, it was organised as I say by the CIPD at the Chartered Institute for Personal Development and um there were some great speakers and it, it, it was, I mean, I was fortunate enough to be running a workshop about teamwork and the importance of feeling and belonging to a team and, and how that can help us with our, our um, well-being at work. But there were a number of things that, that really captured my imagination and some real big learns for me um, as part of the event. And I thought I'd just um, share some of them uh, this afternoon the CIPD um, conducted a health and well-being at work report. Um, they surveyed just over a th- well, they had just over a thousand responses from companies, um, and they were looking at long-term absence, stress-related absence, and, and and all sorts of things to do with mental health and, and well-being in the workplace. And a couple of things came up that I thought were really interesting when they were looking at long-term absence, and they were asked to rank. Um, to list the five most common reasons for long-term absence. Um, 56% of those top fives were mental ill health. 50% were stress. And 50% were musculoskeletal injury. So when you look at the top three causes of long-term absence, two of them are to do with mental health and mental well-being. Um, and I think that's massive because if you've got a broken leg, you've got a broken leg. There's, you know, not a lot we can do about that. However, those other two are so difficult to contain. I thought that was that was a fantastic stat. And then just then on from that, looking at stress related absence. So that 50 percent figure there, looking at the top five reasons for that, 60 percent said workload. And of course, we know that people are increasingly being stretched and stretched and stretched uh, because we've just got less money, less people to do work. 32 percent was down to the management style. Now, that is something that we can control. We can because the way we manage people and the way that we um develop teams is massive and then 27% was non-work related stress um, which you know again there's little we can do in business about that other than uh, look after people and help them with that now I know I've got, I've got a couple of other things that I want to share but I know you've been looking at um, mental health in in the workplace um, Tracy yeah so I've been looking at the resources that are available and they are plentiful 
I've got a few favourites, though. So um, my first stop was Mind. Uh, their website is is wonderful, whether you are um, an employer or whether you're an employee or mm. um, involved in, in working with people from, from another walk of life. But they offer advice, they offer training, consultancy and webinars and a ton of free resources that are available. So... Um, Introduction to Mentally Healthy Workplaces, which is their thing, Mentally Healthy Workplaces, is something that they're trying to promote. How to support staff who are experiencing mental health problems. How to take stock of mental health in your workplace with guides for small businesses. How to manage stress at work, etc., etc. As well as some um, details with questions from HR professionals that they're answering, questions from line managers that they're answering. And also some um, wellness action plans with guides on how to use them absolutely top-notch stuff and in one of the workplaces that I'm working at the moment I've actually got a a physical pack of paper that was sent out just um, showcasing all of the resources that you can get for your Mm -hmm. workplace including posters and booklets and and, um, some of these wellness action plans as well. Then ACAS as usual very good resources most of them are for free and they've developed their own mental health framework for employers employees and line managers and you can download a copy of the framework and you can also find various resources on their website as well we will put links to all of these Mm. on our blog which is on the website thebusiness.community then there's a website um Um, called MHFA England Mental Health First Aid and Mental Health First Aiders is another initiative that's uh, being promoted in schools, in workplaces in other organisations whereby you're training people to not just be physical first aiders but mental health first aiders as well and they've got a free workplace wellbeing toolkit available on their website and the Mental Health Foundation I've got on there, actually, uh, there were lots of resources, but we're probably repeating ourselves now. But some of the costs to UK business, which I thought were really interesting. So one in five people taking a day off due to stress, which you've already Mm -hmm. mentioned. Mm -hmm. But 70 million working days are lost each year due to mental ill health. That's a cost of about 70 to 100 billion pounds. Yes. And presenteeism can double that cost. And presenteeism can be a big um, factor in mental health in the workplace. And for around every one pound in every eight pound is spent on long term physical conditions and is related to poor mental health and well-being. And I got this from the ACAS website, actually. 37% of sufferers are more likely to get into conflict with colleagues. So not only is it affecting their attendance at work, it might cause conflict with colleagues. 50% of employees find that they're potentially less patient with their customers and their clients. So this is really hitting to you on, on your business. But the really sad thing and the thing that I think needs a lot more work is of the survey of UK adults, 56% said they would not hire somebody with mental ill health. That's, yeah. And uh, given the numbers of people who are actually mm-hmm. suffering, and so it's a scale, isn't it? Yeah. There's a sliding yeah. scale of, of what you're dealing with. But if as soon as you mention it, there's still that stigma there if 56% of people would not employ somebody with a mental health issue. I think it's, um, I mean, you're right. There, there are so many statistics, but I, I just find the whole subject so fascinating. And um, there's, a, there's a report um, 
an independent review conducted by um, Stevenson Farmer. So this is Paul Farmer, who is the chief executive of Mind, and a guy called Dennis Stevenson, uh, Baroness Steven, Baron Stevenson of Coddenham. I have no idea where that is, <laughs> but he is the former chairman of HBOS. And um, yes, they, they quote the stats, the numbers, the cost that you've talked about. But they say that, interestingly, for every one pound invested in trying to mitigate some of these issues, the return on investment is between £1.50 and £9. And this is really um, backed up by a book um, called Wellbeing, uh, Productivity and Happiness at Work. It's about how to improve well-being at work. And I saw um, Professor Sheena Johnson yesterday, one of the authors, along with Professor Sir Carrie Cooper, and they have six case studies on the civil service, Network Rail, Rolls-Royce, Tesco Bank, John Lewis and BT. And I think it was Network Rail. The return on investment for them for every pound spent was £7,034 on wow. implementing well-being initiatives within the workplace. So I think that there's a lesson there for us all. This isn't something that you pay lip service to. Yes, it can cost money, but the rewards are massive, are massive. Um, and just before we move on, you've mentioned presenteeism. There's one other word I wanted to mention, and that is leaveism. And that leaveism. is, and I had not come across this before. And this is where people, you they, they book holiday in order to play catch up with their work. They take work home. Leaveism, it's, it's working when you're supposed to be on leave. And that's not good. We're absolutely thrilled to um, to be able to welcome a professor uh, in our midst, which is which is always very exciting here at the university campus. Professor the Lord Robert Mayer, who is the worldwide president of the Institution of Civil Engineers. Uh, so welcome, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's nice uh, to be here. And over in the corner, we have Keith Jones, who is the director. Um, and can we say ICE from now on? Is that OK? ICE. Look at those ICE. Little, ICE. OK. Great, All right. OK. Director of ICE. And John Mather, who is the chair of ICE North Wales. So we, yeah, we've got all the experts in the room all, all in one hit. Um, and civil engineering is um, an interesting sector, I guess. Um, here at Glyndor, uh, Glindor offers a top-up course on civil engineering, which is is a two-year part-time course. So we may already have people who are um, fully-fledged civil engineers, but just topping up their skill set. But we wanted to pose a number of questions to yourself, Professor, uh, about civil engineering, your, your track record, because you've worked in this industry sector for a very long time. So Tracy and I have come up with a, a few questions between us. But to start with, could you just give us in a couple of sentences a definition of what civil engineering is? Because there may be people listening who have no idea how broad a subject that is. Well, civil engineering is is all about improving the world for 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 our society. So it's 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 providing all of the the infrastructure. It's providing the means by which we can get um, fresh water from our taps. The means that we can travel. Uh, our bridges, our tunnels, our roads, uh, really any, everything about our infrastructure that we, society, uses is provided by civil engineering. 
And that goes, sorry, that goes right the way back to, because uh, I often marvel at, you know, the canal network that we have, you know, that wasn't there once, That's the underground right. wasn't there once, the sewage system wasn't there once, and all of that comes under the umbrella of civil engineering. It does indeed, it does right? indeed. Absolutely okay. right, yes. Okay. My question to all of you gentlemen is, do you ever go anywhere and not look at all of the civil engineering around you, appraise it, remember the people that were involved in the projects. Does everywhere you go tell a story to you? Yes. Yes. <laughs> in fact, I can go further than that. When you travel down to Corbin on a holiday, my wife turns to me and said, look at the state of those things. <laughs> That's really how far it's gone. Yes. Okay. So when you get your wives involved as <laughs> yes. well, then they, you know you're no, in the Yes. yes. <laughs> Obviously, civil engineering is, is a wide industry sector that we're talking about. What kind of person do you think makes a good civil engineer? Well, I think that's a difficult question to answer because because I think there there are an enormous range of 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 uh, people that work in civil engineering, and that's one of its great attractions. That it's uh, it uh, it might be attractive to the kind of person that wants to spend their time on a construction site, you know, in a high vis jacket and a, and a helmet, and running the actual building and, and construction of infrastructure. But equally, there are a whole lot of other range of activities. It can be very creative. It can be very much involved in design, working with architects, working with uh, in teams, um, not particularly being involved with site activities. So, But it, there's a huge range. And so it can be, uh, it, it's got such a range of, of attraction that it can appeal to a very wide range of, of, of people. So something for everyone something to consider. Something for everybody, okay, absolutely. Great. Yeah. And you have a fabulous website where you explain all of these, um, the, the different uh, jobs that you can do, but also the routes to entry into civil engineering as well. I spotted a, a nice little bit is how can I become a civil engineer? And you, can, you work your way through a little career options template. I, I thought that was really good. Yes, I'm glad you like that. Well, that, that's important for us because we, we, are, we are very much in the business of attracting a whole range of, of of young people with different abilities, with different interests, and we want to explain to them all the exciting different options they may have in civil engineering. Okay, so this might be a good point for me to ask the question about my daughter then, if that's okay. So she's going to an event that's being held locally, uh, organised through her high school, which is um, an overview of the construction industry and everything that's involved in there from architects to builders is what the strap line was on the event she didn't want to go initially and she came home and told me this and I I looked a little quizzical and said why why on earth not and she said well nobody else put their hand up well you know me Heather (laughs) if you'd have put your hand up somebody would have followed you and as it happened she went the next day and said I actually would like to go to this event and four of her friends put their hand up as well but my question to you gentlemen is what would you have said to my daughter and her friends to get them to want to go to that event? Well, I would say go along to that event because you'll be surprised by all sorts of things you would not you would not be expecting. So that uh, civil engineering, you know, the popular image of civil engineering might be that it's only building large structures, large bridges, but actually there is a whole lot of other things. And so she would be very, uh, she will be very, uh, surprised by the the huge range of activities, so that in in the institution of civil engineers, we we really regard us, ourselves as being everything to do with the built environment, 
And so we embrace, we work with architects, we work with environmental scientists, we work with all sorts of different people, and, and they're all part of civil engineering. And so she would be, she will be exposed to that when she sees what the construction industry offers. That it's 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 full of surprises in the sense that it's not just the the rather narrow image of people with cranes and hard hats in the pouring rain, pouring concrete. It's a lot that more. That happens to it. too. But it happens it's not too. Just that. It happens <laughs> too. Thank you. Just add one thing, just to say that Weldon knew. We're trying to get that message out everywhere, and now the way the careers are devolved to the teachers, we don't just need to see the, talk to the pupils about what a career is, it's the mums and dads, because what we have found with our research, it's the mums and dads, particularly the mums, where there's a girl involved, that influence of what you need to know when we need to get the message out about what civil engineering is, because generally people don't know what, what it is, and it's great that you've done that, so very well done, because we're doing our very best to change that gender imbalance. Now, Robert and I and John are actually in the minority of the working population, we're at 49%. You two ladies here are in the working majority. So you are at 51%. So when we have this small pool of engineers, and at the moment it's only 10% for civil engineers, that number is increasing when you go to college. So we are drawing for a smaller pool than we should do to get the very best. So we need to spread the word and say that civil engineers solve problems. We change society. Yes, the detail is we build bridges or sewers or tunnels or like. But what we actually do is shape society. That's what a civil engineer does. And I think you raised a really interesting point around there's design. You know, it isn't just standing in a field, as you say, in a hard hat and well is on a really cold day. There's the design. There's yep. the contracting. You know, who who does what and who pays whom and what are the terms and conditions and all of those types of things. That's right. Which for somebody who really gets off on paperwork, you know, is 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 a major major um, attract attraction. Yes. So so it, it's it's multifaceted, and I think that that's great. Um, you touched on. Th- because environmental and uh, and sustainability are, are key now on our, our agenda, just on the world's agenda. So civil engineering <coughs> has a huge part to play in that, that, to make sure that use of concrete, for argument's sake, is is reduced wherever possible. There, there are so many other facets, aren't there? So yes. what work is, is going on? How, how, do, how does civil engineering contribute to that moving forward? Well, I think, there's a, I think, I think the, the, um, the whole future of the planet... In, in terms of, of making it sustainable or as sustainable as we reasonably can make it uh, is very much lies in the hands of civil engineers because and that's in itself something very attractive to a lot of young people that uh, when they when they're thinking about what they want to do and they want to actually make a difference mm. then then that's one of the reasons we're seeing a, an upsurge in interest uh, in civil and environmental engineering courses at colleges at universities because it's up to the civil engineers really to address these issues and there are some big challenges probably one of the biggest ones is urbanization around the world i mean there are these very compelling figures that that um, probably only 50 years ago only one third of the world's population lived in cities very soon two-thirds of the world's population live in cities and, and that's two-thirds of a much bigger figure mm. so that that there is an, an enormous 
um, uh, there's, there's, there's a, a vast, vast hike yeah. in the numbers of people around the world living in cities, in very big cities, in very poor conditions. And, and the only people who are really going to fix that are civil engineers. And our expectations are set much higher now, you know, because once upon a time, you know, you wouldn't necessarily have all of the infrastructure at, within arm's reach, whereas now our expectation is that we will have that. Um, and we kind of don't really, you know, we don't think about how that happens because it's yeah. not instant. An example of that is Wales is, needs three planets. We're living within, we only have one. We are going to run out in time. We don't have those three plans. We need to change the way we're doing. And this is perhaps the key to talk about our um, Government Engineering Congress, Robert, whether you can say something about... Oh, yeah, the <coughs> event that's taking place the 22nd to 26th of October. That's right. Yep. That, that, that's that's a, a very, very prestigious and very special event. Um, p- special not least because we're celebrating our 200th anniversary. The Institution of Civil Engineers is the oldest professional um, engineering body in the world. And so 200 years ago, in, in 1818, um, three young engineers got together in a, in a coffee shop just off uh, Fleet Street in London and said, we must, we must form an institution. We must actually pool our experiences. We must meet to talk about our experiences and share our experiences and so on. And that's now um, become a membership, uh, an organization with a membership of, of 92,000 people around the world. But the, the, um, the Congress that uh, we were just referring to, the Global Engineering Congress, uh, is, a, is a meeting, um, international meeting, people coming from all over the world, um, from many engineering organizations to, to, to discuss and to arrive at solutions as to how civil engineers are going to actually make a difference with a lot of these sustainable development goals that the United Nations has put forward and that and that involves things like clean water um, climate change um, urbanization and cities all the sort of things that we know are really pressing and the the clean water issue is huge there are billions literally billions of people in on the world in the world who don't have access to clean water and that's just and there are women particularly women in in countries like Africa that spend almost all their day walking backwards and forwards to sources of clean water. And the difference it would make to their lives, to their societies, if clean water could be provided, rather than them having to spend all their time and all their energy walking miles and miles for water. And is the Congress just for members of your institution? Is it open to everybody? It's open to everybody, and and it's, uh, it's going to have... Obviously, it's likely that there will be predominantly civil engineers attending, but there will be politicians, there will be um, the, the press, there will be uh, people people from, from outside the profession of civil engineering who want to hear about how it is that civil engineers are going to make the big difference to these sustainable development goals. And presumably for the people who can't attend, 
there you will be publishing some details of what was discussed there indeed, afterwards. Yeah? Indeed, absolutely there will be, yes. Okay, so referring back to the 200 years, on your website, uh, it's a celebration of the 200 years. A, a bit that I particularly liked was the, the portfolio of civil engineering projects that have happened over those 200 years. And, and I think it's worth taking a look at. I would recommend anybody look at it just to see the breadth of what is involved with civil engineering. But my question for you gentlemen is, which is your favourite out of all of those? Can you pick just one? Well, I have a favourite. Okay. I do have a favourite, and that's because it partly reflects my, my, my professional interest in civil engineering, and that is tunnelling. So my, my life has been spent principally on, on design and construction of, of tunnels, mainly for metros, but uh, all around the world in many, many different countries, many different cities. But the, but the project that I think is the most extraordinary project of all is the first tunnel ever to be constructed under a river. And that was um, in London, under the River Thames. And it was done by two very, very eminent engineers. One of them was Sir Mark Brunel, and his son, who is even more famous than him, I.K. Brunel. Mm -hmm. yeah. And those two engineers uh, battled with all of the incredibly difficult problems. It took them years and years and years to create this tunnel under the River Thames, but it was completely pioneering. It was the first ever in the world, and it set the whole technology for tunneling that we see in modern day. So when we see projects all around the world, the technology is essentially the one designed by those two Brunels. And it inspired your career. It inspired my career, it did. Great. And well, in Wales, we have a number of projects in that book. We have 200 in it for the 200 years. And I could have picked the Dunorwick Power Station, how that transport the instant energy, the crossings of the Conway, crossings of the Menai, the lessons, the lessons that we've learned that will never happen again for Aberfan. To mm. me, it's the way Cardiff Bay has been transformed <coughs> from the legacy of a coal port and the mudflats to a thriving, flourishing community now where people come down at all times of the day, it just needs the sun to come out and you get hundreds and thousands of people coming down to Cardiff Bay. How it's transformed everybody's lives down there. Changed the world. Fantastic. Keith's mention of Aberfan makes me also add that that, that great tragedy in 1966 had a huge influence on, on the subject of soil mechanics. And, uh, and, and geotechnical engineering, because prior to 1966, prior to that great tragedy, it was not a very well researched or understood subject, but that was such an extraordinary event when the coal tip um, liquefied, and, and the reports uh, at the time were of this, of this material flowing at about 30 miles an hour down the main uh, street of Aberfan, engulfing the school, um, with a tragic loss of life of, of, of hundreds of young children. And it, it made the government say, we must understand more about what it is that soil does to, for that sort of tragedy to happen. And so a lot of university research departments were set up to, to understand the mechanics of soil, how soil behaves. And that um, had a big influence on me personally. I was a student at the time. But it also has changed the way in which we, we do very elaborate 
complicated foundations, it changes our ideas about landslides, it changes our ideas about anything to do with soil and rock, but it stemmed from the tragedy at Aberfan. Okay. Well, powerful stuff. And, uh, but also, I think what that, <coughs> what that demonstrates is progress. You know, civil engineering it, it is all about progress. I remember the Thames Tunnel. I remember hearing about it when I was a child before I'd even been to London. And this idea, what, that there's a tunnel and it goes under the river. Like, yeah. why doesn't everything get wet? You know, that's the, yeah. that's the question yes. that you ask as My a child. My nine-year-old son still asks those questions. Yeah, why, how does that work? <laughs> Underwater. And, yeah. of course, from that, then we go to the Channel Tunnel. And, that's you know, right. So many other things, which I think, were you involved? I was a little bit, yes. yes. I was yeah. a bit involved in Channel Tunnel. So that's tunnel. your, yeah, your tunnelling thing. So... Talking so, of tunnels, I, yeah. there's a question from a lay person that they, they asked me to ask you. Is it true that you leave um, lots of equipment underground after you've done the tunnelling? Do you make like little side tunnels and then bury the equipment? It's quite rare to do that. I mean, but, 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 but that person asking you that question probably has some inside knowledge because there, there are one or two projects. For example, okay. Crossrail that's just finishing in London. Um, has had a huge amount of tunnels uh, constructed right under central London, which has, which has been a real triumph of civil engineering because to make lots and lots of very big holes right underneath thousands of buildings without causing damage to the buildings is a, is a, is a huge achievement. But the tunneling machines that drive the tunnels are usually so valuable that they are extracted and they're often sold secondhand to another tunneling project somewhere in the world. But one of the tunneling machines is left permanently underground in London. Right. <laughs> because, because they couldn't get it out. And co for complicated reasons, they decided to do exactly what you described and drive it off sideways and leave it. Oh, right, and okay. They thought it was an urban myth. So uh, no, it, 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 it does happen. It does uh, happen. They for the inside information. <laughs> <laughs> so just before we, we finish this part of the show, um, would you um, give the listeners some guidance on where to, to look for more information if they're intrigued? Now, I know that uh, one of my friends who's a civil engineer came to civil engineering quite late. She had her children and then she retrained. So it's Excellent. never really too late to it's go into the career. Late. Where would you suggest people go to, to look into the careers? Well, I think first and foremost, I would say the, the website of the Institution of Civil Engineers. Um, and there are, there's, there's a lot of information on that about various routes to how to become a civil engineer. And there's a lot of information about the different sorts of, of um, uh, educational routes. They could be further education colleges, they can be part-time courses. We've just been seeing some wonderful students who have just finished their part-time course here and, uh, and they've been working as employees uh, in local organizations who have enabled them to go to, these, uh, to this course here and to become um, to, to actually get a degree and, and, and actually to progress through the sort of the, the qualifying process of becoming civil engineers. But the answer to your question is there's a lot of information on the Institution of Civil Engineers website. Which is ice.org.uk. That includes a contact detail for the regional teams around the world, okay. 188 countries. So wherever you are, you can get the information and contact people like me. I look up to Wales. Give me and a ring. My details are there. It's all there on the website. Specific for the region that the yes. person's yes. in. Great. Excellent. Can I ask one question before we do let you go? Because we talked about your favourite um, project f f 
for the last 200 years. Uh, we've touched on the fact that you were involved with the Channel Tunnel. You will have been involved with lots of projects. What's your favourite project that you have been directly involved with? My favourite project um, was construction of the Jubilee Line extension in London, which involved lots of new stations and, and, a, and, a, and a new line. And it involved, for the first time, some very complicated um, problems of protecting buildings from from moving or settling. Because if you, as I said just a minute ago, if you make a large hole in the ground, the, 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 there is a, a strong likelihood that the ground will move and that will cause buildings above to settle. And our biggest challenge was to stop Big Ben from leaning. And so, so there is a very large <laughs> station. Right stakes are quite high there. Yes. Then. The stakes <laughs> were quite high. I lost all the remaining hair I had. <laughs> and so to stop Big Ben from leaning was, was uh, a huge challenge. And that station right alongside the Houses of Parliament, Westminster Station, was what I spent uh, before I went to, went to be a professor at Cambridge. I was working full time. And that project was the one I spent probably about four years on. And, okay. and that's my favourite project. And I imagine you lived and breathed that project during I did. that time. I did. Yes. And I was travelling down the escalator just a few days ago, and there was a little girl in front of me with her mother. And, and as we were going deeper and deeper and deeper, it's a very deep station, I heard this little girl say to her mother, Mummy, it doesn't look as if it's finished yet. Oh. <laughs> but actually, um, it is finished. But, <laughs> but, the, but the architectural sort of design is such they left all of the, of the concrete deliberately bare rather than facing it with tiles and so on. It's Children speak the truth, don't and, they? <laughs> and, and so in some senses, it does look a bit unfinished, but I did assure her. I tapped her on the shoulder and said, I promise you it is finished. Ah, <laughs> if only she knew who she was being tapped on the shoulder by. That's fantastic. Great. Thank you very much. Professor, it's, it's been a pleasure to meet you and to, and to hear about your profession. And you know, it, this is business. This show is about business. And this is big business. If you like big stuff... Civil engineering is probably the thing for you. So thank you very much for giving us your time on a tight uh, agenda. Keith, thank you for... Okay. for um, you probably were instrumental in organising some of this. Yeah. And if you weren't, then I'm sure that John was. So thank you all very much for, um, for coming to see us thank today. Thank you for your time. Delighted thank you. you. Yeah. It's been, it's it's been, been a, pleasure. a pleasure. Indeed. Thank you. You're still listening to the business community on Callan FM. And thank you to our guests in the studio talking all about civil engineering. It's opened my eyes. I, I'm sort of vaguely aware. I know three civil engineers, so I should really know what they do. But uh, now you know a bit I more. I think the breadth of what they do is, is, is what surprised me in the research that I did. Going back now to the theme that we started the show with, which was. Um, well-being in the workplace. ACAS have got a mental health conference which is taking place in November. Uh, it's in Leeds on the 21st of November. It's an all-day event, 9.30 to 4 o'clock. And they're using the event to um, look at the ways that we can navigate the changing landscape of the workplace um, on the basis that one in six employees experience mental ill health each year, which is what they say, although I'm sure the stat we used earlier was one in five, but never mm. mind, it was from the same website. Um, they've got guest speakers that are going to introduce the new ACAS framework for positive mental health at work. They're going to share experiences and they're going to explore practical ways to effectively manage and minimise the impact of mental ill health at work. The event costs £170 per person. 
like I say, it's in Leeds and it's on the 21st of November. If you're interested, you can go to the ACAS website, which is acas.org.uk. But we will put a link to the event on our website, which is the business.community. And sticking with that theme, I mentioned the CIPD. Um, CIPD Mid Wales um, have an event on the 16th of October from 6pm to 8pm. It's over in Newtown and this they will be talking about the Workplace Wellbeing Index, looking at best practice policy and approaches. It's a free event. I would suggest that, um, OK, it's, it's Newtown and that might not be easily easy for you to get to but if you have a look at the CIPD website you will see lots of other events uh, including their annual conference which is the 7th to 8th of November in Manchester uh, a free conference looking at amongst other things um, employee uh, experience well-being and people management and then finally at the end of the month in um, in London I spotted this one in the Telegraph it's a Telegraph event Women Mean Business uh, it's it's £149 to attend it has um, Penny uh, Morden who is the Minister for Women and Equalities uh, and looks at roadblocks to women's success women starting businesses how to get investment um, if only I'd known then what I know now um, but all from uh, the world of women in business so um, a nice bevy of events there, I think. Yes, a nice not, mix. not a bad selection. Not a bad selection. I, I have to say, whenever I hear the phrase women mean business, I always think about mean women in business. It's yes. obviously not the right yeah, connotation, No, it's not. It? No, it is definitely not. We've moved away from that. <laughs> OK, well, we're just about at the end of the show. We We've had a great time, haven't yes, we? Yes, we have. Um, from mental health to civil engineering, back to mental health again, and mean women in business. No, women no. mean business. <laughs> So thank you for listening to me and Heather this afternoon. We'll be back next week with more news, views, reviews, chats, whatever we feel like talking about from the world of business. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. Join us next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business. 